just never really stopped buying. Um, you know, I would go to flea markets, I would go to thrift stores, I would, you know, pick up records anywhere I could. Um, I would, and then I also DJed for a bit at uh, 206 and 208 back in the day. So, you know, I was mad about records. For me, it's all about like creating conversations throughout the African um, continent and the African diaspora, specifically in the global south. So, you know, playing records from Cuba, playing records from Panama, playing records from like Ethiopia, etc. you know. Speaking about who are the key players, you know. Of course, we're not going to ignore the fact that in this making, in this formalizing of the key players in this family tree, women have always been invisibilized. So, as you've just heard, there's plenty of contestation in the vinyl collection space globally. It's a world with many subcontexts, commerce, history, and of course, the groove itself. In the wake of vinyl making a comeback, that's in inverted commas, we speak to some of the players in the space. This journey led us to university lecturer and Guaito enthusiasts, who invites us into his home for a sonic lecture on the Guaito family tree. We also coaxed a digger and record bar owner to come to studio to talk about the preservation and economies of scale around the culture. All this on I Know What You're Thinking with me, Gugule Tutele. I Know What You're Thinking. Just like me, memories of your dad putting the needle on the record on a Sunday afternoon come rushing the minute you think vinyl. That crackling sound is stuff of nostalgia. And to follow that thought, I know that just like me, you're fascinated by how some people we know have gone to collect vinyl as if it were investment art. Let's explore that fascination by going into the home of Ra Hassane, lecturer at the University of Witwatersrand Arts Faculty. He speaks about his love affair for vinyl and how the culture gave Guaito music its place in history. In fact, I started collecting vinyl in Edmaristin Hotel and I was still at Varsity. This was 2003, so some of the collection is here, your Chardes, your Prince. I didn't have tables then, you know. I wasn't even DJing. Mm. In fact, this one was 2003, 2004. I was actually quite concerned that I haven't, at least in my knowledge, in terms of my circles, my clothes, to be a small network. I did not know any DJ who played jazz. So it's like, I'm just going to start collecting jazz. And maybe I'll be the first DJ. <laughs> Look at Josie now, it's like full of jazz DJs. But anyway, so back then, actually, I think the very reason I got the first record, I used to go to this second-hand store downtown. It wasn't far from Mariston. Usually, I'll just go buy things, you know, like furniture and stuff. Um, and I remember seeing a, a human Sigilla record and had artwork of Dumile Feni at the back. And as a final student, I was like, what? <laughs> they don't teach me this at Vestec, you know? It's all European, you know, and, and North American mm. art history. Yeah. You know, I did not know my hero Feni yeah. was on a cover of a jazz album. Yeah. So it was that visual kind of... Uh, sensibility that got me that first record. You know?
Rai is currently working on his PhD about the Kwaito family tree. Well, I mean, the PhD's title is still upcoming, uh, but uh, some of the key words in it is the geophilosophical. Uh, what is also central is what I call visual D he story that is um intentionally separating the idea of history with a forward slash between hi and story so that i remove uh, or take a detour from the male-centric notion of history in general and then the d is to think about detouring so when telling stories I'm interested in this idea of taking detours, and then the visual is going to be central. And I'm going to look at this geographical, philosophical, visual dehistory of Kwaito and Kiva music practice, um, but largely using oral or orature or orality as well as performance. The moment of formalizing the moment of creating some kind of a family tree. Sure. Sort of like, you know, historicizing the key players. Mm. Like, you know, this is who we are. On our journey, we sat down with Zara Julius, who's a storyteller and a vinyl spinner. She's joined by Kevin Stewart from Record Mad. And according to them, there's more to the record vinyl trend than what most people romanticize about. The closest memory I have of experiencing a record is growing up with my dad playing a Barry White, a Lou Rawls, uh, or some other Manhattan LP in the background at home and hearing that crackling noise. <laughs> as he placed the needle uh, onto the vinyl. So that's for me my experience and a nostalgic uh, memory that I have when it comes to, to vinyl. So let's start with the both of you actually understanding, you know, your first interaction with the records. Kevin? Um, I, I've always loved records. Uh, my brother had a mobile DJ, which um, disco, which he wouldn't let me touch. He had two turntables. I wasn't allowed anywhere near them. Um, and uh, I only really got into records when they sort of started going out of fashion and I could actually afford them. Up until that point, they were just too expensive for me. How much were you buying them for at that time? Um, you know, I think records were kind of 15, 20 rand. I'm not a millennial, I'm a generation <laughs> Xer. So <laughs> it's a, a lot um, longer ago. Um, but that's kind of, I think my first record was a Suzanne Vega single. single and then, um, you know, I started buying Pink Floyd and that kind of thing when it was cheap at CNA. You know, they were basically giving it away sort of at the end of the, um, of the mass production of, of vinyl. Um, so that was kind of early, late, late 80s, early 90s. Mm -hmm. um, but just never really stopped buying. Um, you know, I would go to flea markets. I would go to thrift stores. I would, you know, pick up records anywhere I could. Um, I would, and then I also DJed for a bit at uh, 206 and 208 back in the day. So, you know, I was mad about records always. And the guys were DJing off CD and I just, I wouldn't, wouldn't go near them. To this day, wow. I have never downloaded an MP3. Never? Never. I've only ever listened to records. Um, 
I do not operate in the digital musical space at all. We want to see your record collection. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that could be a store all on its own, actually, and, and we'll get to that in just a moment. Sorry, let's come to you, your experience uh, with, with, with records and um, what actually led you to decide to purchase them. Yeah, um, so my parents have always been big collectors of music. Um, you know, I guess, so I'm like 24 years old, so I mean, CDs were around when I was born, right? Well, you grew up with this exactly CDs around anyway. Yeah. And Walkman's in your ear. Exactly. <laughs> um, but my parents have always had a really big record collection. But I guess from when I was born, they weren't exactly like investing in it and making it grow. Um, but I was really fascinated with their collection and so I would kind of beg them to let me like alphabetize their collection for like cash on the side, you know, I was obsessed with like digging through their archive and I guess learning about my parents in that way, like learning about their music and their, their like taste in music has really influenced me a lot. I mean, my mom introduced me to like Jill Scott as an example and introduced me to Diggable Planets and you know, like things that people my age are kind of only really like you know finding out about like now right mm -hmm. um so you know my parents have always been really big into jazz as well um like herbie hancock fans to the end you know um so that was kind of my like relationship with records in the beginning was kind of exploring their collections and then also like hapsing parts of their collections on my own collection <laughs> eventually um and then i guess when i left home um after high school i just started building my own so, you know, with the small um, amount of records that they gave me, but then also going out and buying some. But I, unlike Kevin, I'm not a big fan of like going to thrift stores and like, you know, like the laborious digging. Like I know what I'm after. And so I'll just like order it online or um, I'll go to shops that I, that I find are like trusted shops, like Record Mad is one of them. Um, you know, like in the UK, I get to travel quite a lot as well. Mm -hmm. So um, on my travels, I'll, I'll like go digging um, in that way. But I'm not a huge fan of like going through like crates because all the good stuff is gone already, you know. So clearly you mentioned that you're not a fan of, you know, going out searching for particular stuff and maybe all the good stuff is gone. And maybe this is an opportune time to pick your brains on uh, the trends and the dynamics. Is all the good stuff gone? Clearly in your your opinion, uh, Zara, that's your view. Uh, but is that what you've also experienced, uh, Kevin, in some of your experiences in trying to, you know, source great vinyls, source great records uh, and your interactions as well with fellow uh, record collectors? You know, you, you do come across collections or, or places where it's been pretty picked through. But, you know, I've been um, I've been through collections that have been picked through by two other collectors and dealers and still come away with a couple of hundred records. So it really depends on, you know, what you know, what you're into. Um, you know, you know, I sell a lot online. I sell in the shop. So, you know, I'm looking for stuff to obviously resell, but I'm looking for stuff for myself as well. You know, I've looked in the craziest places for records through rat poo and just Ooh. horrible horrible situations <laughs> but you know come away with some amazing stuff and, and really cool gems mm -hmm. and you know either stuff I you know I, I sell on or you know stuff that goes into my collection What's your view, though, on this culture? Is it a particular trend that might be short-lived um, as new millennials come on board and take an interest in vinyl? Or is it one of those passions like for you, which has literally stood the test of time and uh, influenced how you will actually appreciate your, and consume uh, your, your music? Well, it's never really gone away. I think that's the misconception, is that there have always been this core record-collecting group worldwide. And they never ever really stopped pressing records. They were just pressing them in such small quantities that only the people who were still buying records, and there weren't very many, were still buying those. So, 
you know, there was this massive upsurge maybe five, seven years ago, um, really, really big. And I think, I think there will be a drop off. I think, you know, prices are, are kind of prohibitive. Hmm. Um, but that goes what to economies of scale, the level of demand versus the amount of supply. Is that what we're seeing in the market? It comes down to, you know, record label greed again, you know, which is what destroyed the CD industry. Uh, you know, I was buying records at cost price for about $10 when I opened the shop. That same record is now $18.50. Sure. So, you know, people have just, you know, jumped on the bandwagon. They're releasing absolutely everything and they're overcharging for it. And that's going to that's gonna cut a lot, of pe- a lot of people out of the equation, which just like, sort of confuses me. Like, well, why wouldn't, you know, surely you want a bigger market than a smaller market. Mm. So again, it's, you know, the record label greed, I think is coming into the equation. There will be a massive drop off, I believe. You know, I think I'm going to start buying a lot of collections back from millennials, but there will always be a core fan base and that's never going to change. And I'm still seeing people coming in um, who are starting from scratch and wanting, you know, everything from Amampondo Records to the new um, Notorious B.I.G. that's just been reissued. So, you know, I'm moving a lot of that stuff. And, you know, I think um, I still think that people are waking up to it, but I think that people are kind of moving on to so it almost seems as though it ebbs and flows uh, with regard to the market uh, and uh, some of the demand that we see, though. But can we change it? And, and can we actually find ourselves in an ever-evolving society where we always try to reconnect, specifically with individuals who might be in the diaspora, trying to reconnect with the African continent? You know, as you said, you, Zara, were introduced to you know some musicality and musical artists through your parents. Mm-hmm. So the more influence you have on other individuals that you meet, perhaps that might pique their interest. And, you know, this, this culture or this flow might continue. What yeah, are your thoughts? Definitely. I mean, in my record collecting and my like my vinyl playing when I select out in my clubs or bars and also in my other work and my photography work, for me it's all about like creating conversations throughout the African um continent and the African diaspora, specifically in the global south. So, you know, playing records from Cuba, playing records from Panama, playing records from like Ethiopia, etc., you know. And you're exposing people um to music that they, you know, maybe don't hear on the radio, right? Or even just on the internet, it's difficult to find some of this music, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's why for me, like, traveling is really important in, like, collecting those musical narratives. But then there also comes an issue of what I was referring to earlier. People have been to these places, like Ethiopia, it's almost impossible to find records in good, like, um, condition. Because, I mean, like, a big team of Scandinavian diggers, like, went through and just, like, took everything basically so people are really protective over like their own family's archives right um that's just an example i mean i know like in west africa it's a little bit easier to maybe find records um but yeah i think for me it's really important to try find ways to to like make this this like to link this narrative together because and do you think we can especially when it comes to South Africa and its relationship with the rest of the continent and even with our global peers given that the both of you actually you know travel extensively and have these relationships abroad could we continue to connect the dots uh, in sharing these stories and experiences with each other I think it's definitely possible if you're unapologetic about it you know like if you're not trying to just play Notorious B.I.G. when you go out to the club, you know, I mean, often, I mean, especially in Johannesburg versus Cape Town, people want to hear Trap and House when they go to the club. Mm-hmm. And I like, 
refuse to play it unless it fits my agenda, right? Obviously, I'm playing for an audience, but I also have a very like specific agenda politically what I'm trying to do with my music as well. Um, and then that's also, I guess, where like companies who are doing reissues like Sahel Sounds, you know, Analog Africa, all these other kind of um, record labels that are going out sourcing this music from the African continent and trying to and are pressing it to make it more readily available and accessible for us to consume. I think also it's um, to some extent, I think it's breathed new life into um, musicians' careers who had kind of disappeared into obscurity to a large extent. Um, I think, you know, obviously um, Zara touched on th- what happened in Ethiopia, you know, in terms of people buying up large quantities of records and actually kind of exporting it out of the country. Um, but, I, you know, I think there have been cases where um, labels specifically have gone in and reissued um, artists like Mulato Astetke, who possibly wasn't that well known outside of Ethiopia up until... 10 years ago and Ethiopeaks you know released the stuff sure so you know I think there's a there's a case to be made for you know there are people who go in specifically trying to re-expose artists and people to new music and there are people who are going in to make a buck and you know I think it's very hard to tell the difference sometimes Mm -hmm. Um, you know I think it's it's quite grey but uh, you know I don't think it's all bad and I think even in this country um, you know there's a a label in the the UK called Matsuli who have um, you know got hold of music and reissued music on vinyl and somehow it didn't actually make sense to release it on CD. You know, why didn't they do this 15 years ago on CD but now it's been reissued on vinyl. You know, it's been in the top 10 sales in the UK. They released it digitally. Sure. Things like Batsumi, Satima B. Benjamin, Decosa, you know, they're really doing good things and, you know, I know those guys personally and they're not in it for the money, that's for sure. And it's about, you know, finding the music, re. Um, remastering it and just seeing it on vinyl with this amazing cover and you know um, Record Mads released three local um, records as well and just the feeling when you get when you get those records is just it's they aren't words to describe it I'm glad that you touched on that because it obviously speaks to the emotional connection uh, when it comes to, to, to music and being able to touch and feel this uh, physical item of music uh, that can you know influence so many people. But the money issue certainly does come to the fore. I mean, you have a record store here, Kevin, uh, and of course have you know interacted quite a bit with uh, uh, collectors uh, and of course had to substantiate this with a business case. But are we actually able to quantify just the, the, the level of investment that people have made in vinyl so far, especially for the South African audience? I mean, Zara, from your perspective as a DJ, uh, you know, you know, perhaps you can also give us a clearer picture as to, you know, how this influences your work, how it influences uh, 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 the opportunities that you're also exposed to in order to share this kind of music with people. Because at the end of the day, you're paying a, a good buck, right, for, for a good record. You're paying, I mean, a, a reissue is going to set you back. You know good money it's not it's not cheap you know we're we're based on economies of scale we're buying in dollars we're shipping in dollars the um you know south african um customs seem to Ooh. think that they need to charge us 35 percent customs vat on on a record Hefty. I, I don't know what industry they think they're protect, protecting so it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense but there's some collectors out there who spend good money on records you know i've sold I've sold a, the most I've got for a record is twenty two thousand rand. One record for one record that cost me fifty cents. <gasps> yeah. Gosh, you lucky with your mats. Well, I, I got lucky. An investment, huh? But that's exactly it. I've been collecting and dealing records for ten years, and that's happened once. So, 
you know, I think there are very valuable records out there, but they're one in a thousand. And on average, the average cost of a, of a record, if for someone like myself who hasn't started or hasn't collected just yet? Well, secondhand records, anything from five rand to 200 rand, depending on what it is. So, you know, depending on what you want. New records, 380 to 550. Wow. But if you're collecting records, this is not something that you're going to make money off in the short term. Not it's in the, the short passion, term. It's for the passion. It's for the culture. Yeah. But I would look after your records because, you know, the records do have some kind of um, cumulative value over time. If you've got a, a first, like the new Radiohead first press white vinyl that came out at the beginning of the year, that's worth hanging on to. I think in 10 years time, uh, it's going to be worth more than you paid for it if it's not like crazy valuable. Mm-hmm. Sorry, we clearly need to get your view here because this influences, you know, your work mm-hmm. and how you share music. And of course, you're still young. Uh, I mean, by the time you're 50, I can imagine what your collection just might be worth, right? Yeah, but I'm also not collecting to sell off later, you know. Um, I appreciate that some people are, are into that, but that's just not what I'm in the game for. Um, for me, it's more of it's about like, like collecting music and sharing the music um, and building like a library or an archive that I believe in. Um, I mean, the fact that someone's willing to pay 22,000 rand for one record is like, it makes me feel like viscerally ill, to be honest. When you think about how much that that amount of money can do, you know? So, I mean, I can't justify spending more than like 500 rand on a record. I really can't, um, personally. Really? So I'll be like, cool, the record's dope, but I'm not going to like fork out a couple of thousand rand. I just, I I can't justify. It doesn't fit with my politics. It just doesn't make sense to me. Um, So... Yeah, I'm not. I'm also not obsessive, right? When it comes to like record collecting, and I appreciate people who are, are like really, really dedicated to it. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it's more just about saying, "Cool, is this music that I enjoy? Is this music that people can maybe also like learn from? Does this music fit with like my kind of sound, my agenda? Cool, I'm gonna buy it if I can afford it." But I mean, I think the most I've spent on a record is maybe like 580 rand or something. Um, You're the girl that's good with the budget, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can um, you can send someone to school for 22,000 rand, your leg. you know? Yeah. No, very true. But you both raise very important issues. I mean, the cultural aspect, the the, the, the trend, the, the, the mindset, the experience as well when it comes to uh, record collecting and, of course, the financial implications. But as we do start concluding, I want to get perspective from the both of you as to how this is obviously something that is, is treasured between the both of you and many other individuals, not only within South Africa, but across the continent. How do we continue to cultivate this gem, cultivate this culture uh, and protect it? Um, from some of the threats that you've both alluded to in the short term. Let's start with you, Kevin. Um, you know, I think it, it starts with, with people like Zara who, who um, are collecting for the right reasons and playing music for the right reasons. Um, you know, they're exposing people to music that they wouldn't really know and, and that leads somewhere. So, you know, I think that that's, that's, that's very important. You know, mm-hmm. I think we need to really take care of the archives we have in places like Gallo and the SABC, you know, who did transcription recordings you know, throughout its whole history, whether good and bad, you know, there's, there's, there's stuff there that isn't available anywhere else in the world. So, um, you know, I paid a lot of money for some records that I own, and I've never paid more than 2,000 Rand for a record, but, you know, it's a Malombo record or a Gideon Gomalo record that there are only, you know, 500 that were recorded back in the day. So, you know, there are collectors out there who are willing to share there are, you know, I sell a lot of records to a guy in New York who archives the stuff. I mean, he has an incredible archive of South African music, probably probably the biggest archive of South African music Sitting out of anybody in, in South Africa. And, you know, I think those kinds of collectors are important. People who are, are willing to share, to put up blogs, to get the music out there for 
no personal or financial gain mm. but th they are actually the gatekeepers of sort of our musical cultural inheritance that we're completely unaware of and i would have been too if i hadn't sold him a couple of singles on on ebay mm. sorry yeah i mean i agree with what kevin is saying i do think we also need to be like conscious of where our music is going to as well right so maybe this guy in new york as an example is doing great things but at the same time what does it mean for our musical like heritage i guess to be sitting in new york and not here um so also you know i think it's important for us to start thinking around like the like, like who is a custodian of our of our musical knowledge right and what does it mean to be a responsible custodian etc um so i think what's also really important is you know south africa or the african continent really needs its own pressing plant i think that will really like change the game quite a bit so we don't have one here at all there was one i know there was um on sale in zimbabwe i'm not sure who bought it what happened to it um i don't think a south african bought it I think someone in the States bought it. Do I, I you can know? tell you the whole story. Okay. I, I, had, I actually <laughs> went up to Zim, checked out the whole place. It was, the deal was done. We, we, it was sold. Um, mm. But we, we wanted to pay 50% up front and 50% on delivery. And the guy just refused. So it was four pressing machines. It was like a cutting mechanism. It was absolutely incredible. It was, I've got photos. It was incredibly exciting. But he sold it to Poland. Goodness. Mm. And no other pressing plants that we have in South Africa or across no, the country. Our press pressing plant actually went to Zimbabwe at the end of the 90s. And then they amalgamated that with the Zambian pressing plant. There was one in Nigeria. I think there was one in Kenya. But no one knows where these are anymore. What would it take to fix that? A new... You, you would you would have to buy new machines that are all automated now, and um, they're a hundred and forty six thousand dollars a piece, oh. excluding shipping, setup, etc. And depending where the rand is, see you see where I'm going with this. Goodness, mm. but you've clearly mm. educated us guys and uh, given us a, a lot more perspective and guidelines on vinyls. I've learned a lot, so next time I hear that, I have a new appreciation for it now. <laughs> so this culture is not only about nostalgia. It's a whole big machinery complete with high bidders, purists, and trained junkies. The resurgence of vinyl culture is clearly more nuanced than just a side A or a side B. Hope you've learned as much as we have. You've been listening to I Know What You're Thinking. <laughs>